Hi, you're listening to 48 Minutes, and this is Tim Kittrow from NBA Jam. Ooh, boom, shakalaka. Alright, so to celebrate this momentous historic moment in basketball history, the 25th anniversary of the return of Michael Jordan to the Chicago Bulls, I had to find someone who was around for it all. Lucky enough, he works in my home city. He works for the mothership of 700 WLW. You can check him out on Sports Talk every evening. Mr. Lance McAllister. Lance, thank you so much for coming on the show. How you doing, man? Tim, I'm well. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, this is cool. I know, like, I was thinking about doing this show for a while, and I was like, who could I get? And I totally forgot that you not only worked in South Bend for a while covering Notre Dame, you also worked in Chicago, so who better? Yeah, I roll. I mean, as you say that, it hits me. I My first job in, out of Butler was, was TV, and I covered my first year. I covered Notre Dame's last national championship in football in 88, and then I moved from South Bend to Chicago, and I walked right into the into the, the, the Bulls dynasty with uh, Jordan and the, uh, and the championships. Yeah, so you had it pretty good there for a bit. <laughs> yes. Then you came here. Yes. <laughs> and then the drought. Yes. yes. The pain, the misery, the letdown, the disappointment. <laughs> All of it. All of it, indeed. Um, so, so like you said, you were def- you were in Chicago at the time. So I kind of want to start. Let's kind of talk about what led to the, re- the first retirement, because you were there for everything. Um, obviously, you know, the 91 91- championship you know they start that starts the three-peat run being the lakers then they go beat the blazers then they beat phoenix you know also in that summer there was the dream team so jordan and pippen won gold medals they played against kukoc who ended up being a bull later on what do you really remember the most about that that first three-peat you know how good that team was what the city was like in chicago and just like the buzz around the city for those for that those teams well, they, as you're describing that, the, the hair standing up on my arms because they, they were rock stars. I mean, not just in the city, but around the country. I mean, wherever they traveled, that, that band, the Jordan Pippen and, and the gang, and, and there was just such dominance and just such excellence and, and professionalism um, in, in a town that had the, the Bears, and the, and the Bears are, have, have been king forever, and you know, the, the Cubs and White Sox have had their splashes of moments, and the, and the Blackhawks. I mean, just I mean, consider the landscape and how many teams there are professionally in the city, and to have the Bulls uh, with Jordan rise to what they became at that point, it just became the dominant thing in the city. It became the symbol of, of Chicago. And I, you know, it's funny, the, the one thing I remember about the, the run is me opening up my big mouth. And, and it was, you know, the, the Bulls would use any, and specifically Jordan, would use any bit of motivation they could find, any doubt, any criticism. I'm not saying it came specifically from me, but I'm saying in an instance where I, on the TV show I was doing at the time in Chicago, I had said they fell behind to the, the Knicks in, in one of the series early on. I had said on the air, you know, if the Bulls, if the if the, if the Knicks, uh, you know, blow this series, if the Bulls are able to come back in this series, I will push a peanut with my nose across the newsroom floor live on TV. And sure <laughs> enough, you know, you know, I learned never bet against Michael Jordan. The Bulls, Bulls come back, win the series, and, and advance on and, and win. And, and and followers of the show started sending me bags of peanuts. I mean, just. 
bags and bags and bags. And so one night in, in my nice suit and tie and pocket silk, I get down on my hands and knees and put a peanut on the floor. And I, as the newsroom stops and watches me on TV in Chicago, I'm pushing a peanut across the newsroom floor with my nose because I had dared to, to doubt the Chicago Bulls. And I, and I learned that lesson that never, never bet against Jordan, never bet against the Bulls because they always won when they got to the championship. Well, yeah, well, you, you bring up a good point, though, because people, you know, especially in my, uh, you know, the younger people who know about this Bulls runs act like those teams didn't face adversity. I mean, the 91 series against the Lakers, they got beat pretty bad in game one. It seems like no one ever remembers that, how they came together and won that series and just dominated the rest of the way after Magic and crew kind of had their way with them the first game. Yeah, and there were there were moments. I mean, and, and Jordan obviously gets all the headlines, but there were other guys who would step up in moments. And and you know, there was a the classic timeout where where Phil comes at the Portland series, if I recall. And Phil calls the timeout and, and kind of looks in the huddle. And you know, Jordan had had an off night. And, and you know, if, if you remember during their run, there were it wasn't just Jordan who hit shots. It was right. Paxson who hit a big shot. Others hit big shots, and that was Jordan trusting guys to do that. But he got such the headline. What made that team great was obviously Jordan, arguably the greatest of all time. But there were role, whether it was B.J. Armstrong or others, who knew their role and their place and knew when a moment arrived they were going to be called upon, they had to step up and match what was going on. And, and they were able to do that. That's, that's what made them uh, the, the dynasty they were. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's you know the first bench mob. You know, If you remember like, you, like the guys you named there, I mean, Bill Wennington, Will yep. Perdue, so many guys that came in through that that group there as well it just made things so special for that team um let's kind of go to and, and think of that Th- think of that uh, not, not to interrupt but just sure. think of those names and in a day and age where 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 big men were were, were dominant and uh, you think you, you're not going to win without a, a dominant center the, the bulls went through guys like bill Curtright and, and yeah. will purdue and brian williams and just not i don't want to say nondescript to, to to criticize him it was just it was the greatness of that team they were able to incorporate and kind of raise the level of play of guys like that. And Jordan was always so good early in games of feeling out who had the, the touch in that game. And, and maybe he would start the first three or four possessions feeding Bill Cartwright or feeding Bill Purdue, uh, Will Purdue and to get them going in early in a game and lift their confidence early in a game. And it was, I, I think it's one of the nuances of his game that went a, a little bit underappreciated of how he made sure to get others and kind of feel out if they were on or if they were off. And heck, if there were nights they were off, he'd just go away from them and it became all him. But uh, it was part of his greatness. So... After the 93 series, they just beat Phoenix. They win their third in a row. What was the feeling in the city there? Because obviously no one knows just yet that Michael's retiring. Um, it seems like, does it feel like this team's never going to lose? It seems like they're going to win titles forever at that point. Well, it became, I mean, I think people started to calculate in their head just what the, the grind of what they were going through, the, the, the 82 game regular season, the the round after round in the postseason and adding up all the games just in the playoffs and what that meant on the wear and tear of somebody like, like Michael Jordan. And then, you know, you, you add in tragically the, the death of his father in what July of, of 93. And it just, uh, a, a lot of things were, were happening at that point. And, you know, around in and around that time, uh, there were there were the this, the book came out. I think it was Slim Bowler. I don't know why I remember the name of of gambling with Michael Jordan. And there were just there were just a lot of stuff going on um, that was just adding up to to wear and tear and fatigue of of the story and on the players. And and I, I don't know that people sat back and said it's going to implode or it's going to end. I just think the realization was hitting of just how difficult it was, what they were actually pulling off, and could they continue to pull it off? 
Yeah, I think, I mean, that's, we're kind of seeing that now a little bit, right? If you remember, I mean, obviously LeBron James has played in eight straight NBA finals and just had had his first year, he didn't play in the playoffs at all. And like, if you're looking at now, just kind of that wear and tear, you're seeing him, like he looks rejuvenated. It seems like that year where he wasn't playing in April, May and June just completely brought him back to who he used to be. And I think that's a really good point. You talk about that, that three people seem just everything they went through, all those playoff games, all those physical playoff series they played in. And you're, I mean, it's, it's really a really huge deal. It seems like people really underestimate. Well, the year of the, the year that beat the Suns, that was 92, 93, just in the, in that playoff round, they, they swept the Hawks in three. So that was easy. They swept the Cavaliers in four. That was easy, but they were taken to six by the Knicks. They were then taken to six by Barkley and the Suns. So that's what, six, 12, that's 16, that's 19. I, I think if my Butler math is on target, that's 19 playoff games and do that for three consecutive years. Do that, including uh, what Jordan was doing in the off seasons, Olympic stuff like, I mean, there's just a whole lot and 82 I mean, load management wasn't a term back then. I mean, it, it wasn't players were, were sitting out games and taking games off and resting. And I mean, that it was, it was, you played every night. And, you know, if you were Jordan that year, I'm kind of scrolling through here. I mean, Jordan averaged 92, 93, Jordan averaged 39 and a third minutes per game. I mean, that, I mean, just that adds up to a whole lot of wear and tear on a body. Yeah. And especially, you know, the NBA, the NBA, you're, you're so so physical and so long. I know there's a lot of talk about people yep. wanting to go to like 74 games and things like that. Uh, maybe, you know, I think uh, Jackie McMullen was talking about it recently where I guess uh, Kendrick Perkins was talking about the Celtics and how he's like, you know, Larry Bird didn't have load management. Kevin McHale didn't. Jackie McMullen's like, yeah, but Larry Bird yeah. lost his legs. You know, Kevin McHale had this injury. Like, they probably really yep. would have enjoyed having that at that time. So I'm sure the Bulls team would yeah. definitely appreciate the Clippers uh, method that they're using right now. Well, and also remember, earlier in Jordan's career, he was carrying much more of a, yeah. a of a load and a burden because the talent just wasn't there. And then, you know, slowly you're adding the pieces, whether it's B.J. Armstrong, uh, on lesser level, Stacey King, Horace Grant, Will Purdue, Paxson, uh, uh, Scotty Williams. It just, he, they, they slowly but surely with, with Jerry Krause and, and Jerry Reinsdorf started to add, so it took a little bit of the pressure off and added a little bit of help. But, er, I mean, early in his career, he was dragging the entire franchise behind him. Lance, you know your listeners are going to be really upset you didn't mention Kyle Macy there, right? Oh, uh, yes. Can't forget Kyle Macy, <laughs> man. I, you know, it's funny. I'm as, as we're talking, I'm scrolling through rosters. I'm like, oh, yeah, this guy was on those teams. I forgot. <laughs> Basketball reference, I go down that rabbit hole just about every day. So we just did an episode, kind of, I know it's off topic. We did an episode where we picked our all-time Shaquille O'Neal teammates team. So, you know, because he's played with everybody. <laughs> and it was kind of yeah. fun, actually. It was kind of amazing. Just like, you know, he's had a, he's had a teammate that's been in the NBA Finals every year since 83. So we were like, Unbelievable. Up, yeah, it's just unreal. Just all the guys he played with, all the six teams. So, um, all right, so back on topic here. Yeah, like you said, it gets to 93. There's the tragic death of his father. Um, and then... The news comes out that he retired. Is he's retiring from the NBA? So, mind you, I was four at this time. So forgive me that I don't remember a lot of this timeline. So you might have to piece some of it together for me. Um, do you recall any rumblings of him retiring? Do you recall like any like discussion that was coming up, or was it just like you know you were working one day and there it's all of a sudden like, hey guys, Michael retired. 
Well, the obviously the, the the death of his father weighed heavily. I mean that 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 uh, that, that burden w- w- was heavy. But I don't think anybody. I, I think if I recall, there was thought that it, it would obviously make it a difficult season. How how into it was Michael going to be? Could he refocus? What you know? And, and then you add on everything we've talked about about the buildup and the strain of that run. But I, I don't think anybody truly was ready for. Uh, I, I think it was the night of, I think it was October the 7th. Um, and it may have been the, the news leaked out the night before on October the 6th of 93, when the word began breaking, but I'll, I'll just, I'll never forget where, where I was when, when the moment came and, and consider it's a day and age without Twitter and the internet and everything we have now. But when it began, it began to leak, uh, that Jordan was going to retire. I, uh, I'll, I, I go back to that moment in time and it's kind of frozen. It's still hard to fathom. Yeah, and I think you know, obviously, the infamous press conference when he comes in there, and I remember, like, I've I had all the all the all the VHS tapes as a kid, the Michael Jordan above and beyond, and those, so I've seen those things. But um, I just remember, like, you know, when you see those things, and then he starts going out, then there's a talk about all of a sudden it's like, oh, he's going to sign a baseball deal. Do you remember like that news being broken? Yeah, I well, I, let me backtrack because when it, it whether it's October the sixth or seventh, I think the news conference is on the seventh, but it broke on the sixth, and I'm sitting on the set of CLTV in Chicago, and I'm hosting a, a nightly show called Sports Page, and I had, and that was a show kind of like a local version. We were a 24 hour news channel. It was a local version of, of like Sports Center, so we did the Chicago highlights of the day, and then I had guests and various features, talked with players, and we were doing of all things that night, we were doing an outdoor segment with, with a, a guest named Chauncey Nizel, and he did hunting and fishing it was kind of just setting up the weekend it was a segment we did once or twice a month for the hunters and, and fishermen and hot spots stuff like that and, you know i i knew very little about hunting and fishing but i remember sitting there in that moment listening to chauncey and all of a sudden my producer in my ear on my ifb the the earpiece you wear that connects you to control room my producer says listen to me very carefully he says nbc dateline has just broken the following Michael Jordan will announce his retirement tomorrow. And all of this is going on in the middle of a show live. And I'm trying to pay attention to my guest who's talking about the outdoors, which I really have no idea what he's saying at that point about a perch or catfish or whatever fish he's talking about. Like, I don't know what the hot spots are. And I'm thinking I almost, I almost wanted to hold up my hands on the air to Chauncey and everybody else say, wait a minute, you won't believe what my producer just told me. But no, I calmly said, thank you, Chauncey. Let's take a time out. We'll be back. And at that point, the, the scramble of chaos is on, and, and my producer is running out into the studio and handing me uh, pieces of paper with information, and here's what NBC Dateline is announcing. And I'm like, are you kidding me? At age 30, having won three consecutive NBA championships, three consecutive MB, MVPs, three MVPs finals in those championships, a guy who's won the scoring title seven straight years is retiring tomorrow? And it just the the, the city of, of Chicago just it, it just halted. Every everything else at that point stopped mattering. And we're talking about you know, the the White Sox were playing in the World Series at that point. That the Cubs had fired. I think they fired Jim Lefevre, their manager, the, the next day, the day of the news conference. The Chicago Blackhawks had uh, their opening night. And honestly, I don't think anybody cares or anybody remembers besides me. And that's only because I went back and looked at the timeline because everything became about Michael Jordan stepping away from the game of basketball. You actually, you told me a story recently that I thought was really cool. So I wanted to actually bring it up here. So he goes to the White Sox, obviously signs the deal. um, And their spring training is going on. And 
you know, it's a media circus, like like anyone expects, oh. where the greatest oh. basketball player of all time is playing another sport. But you, somehow or another, escape the circus and the big media crowd, and you get a one-on-one with Michael during spring training. What was that like? Uh, you're right. The the whole week was just one major circus. And, and I, I went down with, with a cameraman and we spent the, the, the week doing features. And I'll never forget like the first day of his workouts with the, with the White Sox. I had to do live shots for, I think it was 13 different TV stations around the country. As part of our agreement of sending me down there, we had to, it was a, it's a, a the operation was called uh, CONUS, I believe it is. We were working out of their satellite truck. So I had to basically stand there, do the live report for my station. Then they'd say in my ear, all right, we're we're going to Tupelo, Mississippi, say the same thing. All right, we're going to Little Rock, Arkansas, say the same thing. We'll run your package. But the chase to track him throughout the week was what was the circus. Everybody trying to figure out when he was arriving. I'll never forget the red Corvette he rolled in with the, the tinted windows. Um, but people tracking his movements around the city at the end of the day after practice is over. Where was Michael going? But the day, one of the days of the just a, a normal workout for the White Sox, everybody, it was Jordan's birthday of all things. And, and, People are camped out in the complex, the baseball complex, and I'm just wandering around different parts of the complex with my cameraman, and we happen to be around the back corner of the building, and a side door opens up, and it's Jordan with his bat over his shoulder and a bag over his shoulder, and he's starting to walk, and it was uh, probably 150 yards, 250 yards to the, to the field where he was headed. And, and I'll never forget, it was just me and, and the cameraman, and the door opens on this corner. I, and it may have been from the laundry room, for all I know, and, and it was Michael Jordan. And, and initially, my, my thought internally was, holy crap, it's Michael Jordan. So I'm trying to collect myself, and, and I, I nudge my cameraman. I say, start rolling. And I start walking with him, and I say, Michael, do you, do you have a couple of minutes? And he says, if you can walk with me. So I'm walking backwards. So the camera is shooting over my shoulder to Jordan's face. So I'm walking backwards as Michael is walking forward to the, to the baseball complex and I'm doing my best not to trip and also my best to, to offer coherent questions about, you know, what he's going through. This may have been day two or three of, of trying to be a baseball player. And I remember asking him what he was doing for his birthday that day. And it was probably, I don't know, it may have lasted two minutes on, on the walk to the stadium, but I will, I will never forget that. And I think my biggest accomplishment is I did not fall over backwards, walking backwards for, for that far interviewing Michael Jordan. First off, that's really awesome. That's got to be like that's like that's a career defining <laughs> moment. I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Good interview, Michael. Well, now, let me let me give you let, let me give you one more if I could because here's sure. the beauty of it. After I finished with Jordan, and we're probably to the the infield dirt as I'm walking backwards. At that point, as Jordan breaks away to go do his thing, here comes Dick Vitale. <laughs> and Dick Vitale, who has a, may still have a home in Sarasota, but Vitale comes walking, and he's just dressed in like a golf shirt and shorts and shoes, and he sees the mic flag that, that I'm holding CLTV, and, and I can't do Dick to the truest, but it went something like this. Hey, it's CLTV. I love CLTV. And he grabs my microphone. <laughs> I, I've got a wireless mic, and he starts walking around interviewing White Sox players, and I want to say it was Joey Cora, and he says, Joey Cora, it's CLTV. What do you think about the season? I'm like, oh, my God, this is like TV gold, and he does this for a couple of minutes, and he comes walking back over, and he just hands me the microphone back, and, and he says, thanks for letting me do that, and it, and it was gone. I'm like, what? And I'm considering like that 10-minute that window of my life, and I'm like, what in the hell is going on? How incredibly cool is this? I had that last month so i worked the uc memphis game <laughs> and so penny penny hardaway is my favorite player of all time like flat out it's my all-time yeah. hero 
So, of course, he's coaching Memphis now. And in that presser, I got to ask him three or four questions. And, you know, when you do what we do, we have our moments where it's like, holy crap, that was awesome. That was my, like, I guess your relation to Michael Jordan moment. That was my Penny Hardaway moment. (laughs) That's beautiful. It is. Um, So, obviously, during spring, you know. So, do you remember, like... I don't know. I, there was like, I guess I've read some sort of reports. And I don't know if these are true or not. Maybe you remember, maybe you don't. But I guess like I've heard reports like he got in competitions in spring training batting practice with like Frank Thomas. Do you remember any of these stories? I, I do not remember those. I just, the, the biggest thing, I, I think the coolest thing, other than the fact that I, it's still hard to process that Michael Jordan uh, turning 31 in that season actually played 127 games of minor league baseball for the Birmingham Barons. I mean, just saying it out loud is, is hard to fathom, but I'll never forget because of the travel and the wear and tear of what that season was getting I mean, life in the minor leagues. You, know, you ride yeah. buses everywhere. Michael just bought a bus. I mean, rather than just any type of bus, a Greyhound bus, a, a rickety old I don't know, school bus, whatever, Michael just said, all right, I got this. I'll, I'll buy us a luxury bus. <laughs> it was it was just like a big bus that had every, everything you would want on a bus. TVs, uh, it may have had beds on it for all I know, but it, it was he, he bought it for not just him, but for the guys. They, they traveled on uh, the, the bus, and I, I think as, as much as people find it hard to, to process and think what the heck was he doing – um, he wanted to be, he wanted the true experience. He wanted to be like the rest of the guys and not separate himself, but he, he also wanted to travel in style. So he made sure he took care of the, the travel arrangements. Also interesting to note for people who don't recall Michael Jordan's manager at that time for the Birmingham Barons, Terry Francona. How about that? Yeah. yeah. And you know, I, I looked it up this morning. Um, MJ, he only hit two Oh two that year, but let, let's consider double a is like a prime spot for talent. And there's a lot of guys who will jump from double A to the, the majors. Triple A tends to be, you know, guys who are hanging on or guys who have dropped back down because of injuries and rehabs, older guys. Double A is a prime spot. And to think that Jordan was playing there, played 127 games. He hit 202, but he drove in 51 runs. He stole 30 bases. I mean, think about that. He's 31 years old. He yeah. hadn't played baseball since high school. And he stole 30 bases at double A for the Birmingham Barons. I mean, it just, it's insane when you think back now to, to what he did that season. I'm glad you said that because it seems like people were just like, well, yeah, he didn't do well. And it's like, okay, he didn't hit well. But, like, you know, like, he was still a great, he's still one of the most amazing athletes to ever walk the earth. Like, he was still successful in some way, shape, or form that he made that transition to an extent. So, yeah, I'm glad you said that. Um, and I'll never forget the, the Sports Illustrated put him on the cover in a White Sox uniform in spring training, or it may have been during the, the minor league season, and the headline was MJ Baggett, and they were saying it was a farce. Uh, it may have been the idea of him even doing it before it started, but, I mean, they were really, and, and Jordan, there was a, and I have no idea what the relationship is now, but there was a break and kind of a, a falling out because they were so critical and went after Jordan for the whole thing being making a mockery, and it was Sports Illustrated wasn't the only one. There, there were some within there were many within baseball who were like, you know, who the hell does he think he is? He thinks he can play baseball and go to spring training with a, with a major league baseball team, but he did it. So let's go to the Chicago Bulls at this time. Um, obviously, you know, they take a step back, obviously, because you don't have the guy, but Scottie Pippen was so damn good those two years, so especially 93-94. Uh, they still won 55 games that year. Um, Pippen, I think, was second in MVP voting. A lot of people, myself included, still believe he should have won MVP. And that was a really good team. I mean, obviously, you know, Pippen, this is the first year Coo coaches there full-time. Luke Longley's there. Uh, BJ Armstrong's still there. Uh, from our, our neck of the woods, Corey Blunt. This is also when things with Horace Grant start getting a little tricky. 
Uh, what do you, do you really remember a lot from that 93-94 Bulls team? I mean, Pippen, you know, like I said, Pippen was just unbelievable that year. They lose to the Knicks in the Eastern Conference Finals, but such a fun year for that team. Yeah, and there were, you know, it's funny as you say that, the things I immediately flashed to, one, um, Scottie Pippen had been, obviously, the whole Batman and Robin comparison. Yeah. He suddenly w- could no longer be Robin. And, and it was interesting how Jordan was so good at, holding court after games, win or lose, and obviously they didn't lose much, but whether things were going really well or there were there were questions to be answered, Jordan was always the one who answered the questions, and Jordan always made it a point after every game. He never addressed the media unless he was showered and, and dressed to the nines. I mean, the, the, the suit, the coat, the, the tie, everything perfect, and then the cameras turned on because that's the way he wanted his image presented, and he was always the voice of that locker room. Well, when he left, Scottie Pippen had to move up into that role, not just as the player on the court, but as the spokesman for the team. And when Scottie had an off night, he had to talk. When he had an on night, he had to talk. When the Bulls won, when the Bulls lost, he had to talk. And he was... I think that was kind of the welcome to Michael's world. You thought it was easy. Well, you have to also, you know, take on these roles. Um, I always remember that about the team. I always remember um, Scotty's uh, the 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 migraines uh, of Scotty in the postseason. I always remember the the Tony Kukoc factor and and all the the resentment of Kukoc and the and the relationship he had with Jerry Krause and and how Krause. You know, Krause had a tendency to downplay others, but because he found Tony Kukoc, Kukoc was going to be the guy. And, and there was that thought that the organization thought it was more about the organization and the structure of scouting than it was about the players and the, the lingering resentment of that and the disconnect. There was just a, there's a lot of things that now I, I flash back to on that team when, when Jordan left and, and how Krause was viewed uh, by the the players and how just the, the relationship just wasn't strong between the front office and the players. What do you remember about that Knicks series? I remember, you know, they obviously were down 0-2. They come to Chicago. They get a big win in overtime. And then they win the next game by 12. And then it's like back and forth. They go to game seven. They lose game seven in the garden. Do you remember anything particular from that series standing out? Yeah, I just just the the animosity and the just the the competitive nature and the the hostility and the you know Oakley's uh, Oakley's mannerisms and Anthony Mason's man and there was such a, a a and I liken it to the Detroit Pistons later with the the intimidation factor trying to impose their will and and the Bulls without Jordan were viewed as vulnerable and you you had to whether it was uh, John Starks or Charles Smith or guys like that you had to. Um, you had to get the bulls while while they were vulnerable. If Jordan wasn't there, it was like blood in the water, and a team like the Knicks was going to play that to the hilt, and um, and and they did. <clears throat> so we start the next year, and the Bulls are really struggling. Uh, they're having a really up and down season. Things, you know, they're battling injuries. You know, guys aren't fitting in. Like we said, at this point, Horace Grant's left. He's pissed off at the Bulls. He signs with Orlando, and then there's some rumors and some rumblings start coming around. And then there's the infamous report of B.J. Armstrong and Michael Jordan playing a one-on-one basketball game. At this point, do you recall anything or any feeling of maybe this is maybe he's coming back, maybe this is going to happen? You know, I, I think it was more of like uh, kind of oh, like, oh, yeah, sure, he would do that. that. That it was just like fun and games, and, and there was no way that whether it was uh, the the, the storyline with his dad, whether it was the the storyline of the gambling, heck, I mean, I've kind of glossed over the fact there were, there were rumors that 
Michael had left the NBA because David Stern had reached an agreement with him not to expose the, the gambling allegations. And it was kind of a wink, wink suspension. And, and, and nobody knew how long the suspension might be, but there had been a book written about Michael's gambling. There had been a trip to Atlantic City that created a big buzz during that. It may have been that very Knicks series we just talked about, or, or the, the prior year, I'm sorry, when Jordan was still playing, where uh, Jordan was seen gambling in Atlantic City until like 2 in the morning before uh, the next game that night, and he had to answer to that. So there was a lot of just stuff going around, but I don't, I don't think anybody thought it would lead him back to the NBA because we were still, I, I'll never forget this working with Norm Van Leer in Chicago on, on radio um, one night at the, um, I'm trying to think of the timeline here. There's so much happening. It may have been after he came back, but uh, Michael walked up to Norm before the game and Norm was doing pregame for the bulls on TV. And I'll never forget. Michael kind of patted Norm down to make sure his microphone wasn't on. And he, and he said to him, I know what you guys are, are speculating and saying about the gambling and the suspension. All I'm telling you, it's not true. Wow. Um, that's after the, the, the eventual comeback. But I, I, I'd never forget that because I mean, Norm was like one of the most revered former Chicago bulls in the city. And, and Jordan knew that Norm's word carried a lot of, of, of say behind it. So it wasn't just Norm speculating. I mean, everybody was kind of piecing together all. Oh, he really didn't, you know, leave for leave the NBA to play baseball. It's because he was suspended and then he had to find something else to do to kill the time kind of thing. But um, I'll never forget that moment as well. But uh, no, I, I don't think anybody backtracking to the timeline we're on right now thought hey, it's just a matter of time. Jordan's going to come back to the NBA. Which brings us, of course, to oh. the facts. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was Saturday, March the 18th, 1995, and I'm doing radio with Norm. We're on uh, AM 1000 WMVP radio in Chicago, and we did afternoon drive during the week from 3 to 6. I had left TV to do the, do, the, do the radio, and we also worked on Saturdays, and we weren't big fans of working on, on Saturdays, but I want to say we were on, I don't know, 9 to noon that day, and it was – and keep in mind, at, at this stage, baseball was in a strike, um, the 94 World Series has, had been canceled, and the strike had rolled over into the spring training wasn't going on at this point in, in March of uh, 18, March 18th of 95. Uh, the OJ trial was, was in the middle of, of processing. Um, the whole Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan thing had played out months earlier, so there was just a whole lot of really like bizarre stuff happening. But we wrap up our, our three-hour show, and I'll, I'll never forget at that time of year, we were thinking, what the hell are we going to talk about without baseball? There's no Cubs and White Sox into the, this 1995 season at the time. And as we wrapped up the show at noon, we walk into the, the, our, uh, our, our offices, and we, we grab our stuff, and we were always in a hurry to get the heck out of the building and get on with the weekend, and the sun was shining that day. I'll never forget that. And so we grab our stuff and we're basically running down the hallway out the door. And I hear the, the fax machine that <laughs> consider the day and age, no, no Twitter, right. Facebook, internet. So like it was a fax machine and it just, it, whenever something would come in, it would kind of ding, ding, ding. And for whatever reason that day, I, I heard the ding, ding, ding. And I thought, all right, I'm, I'm going to go. I remember stopping in the hallway, I'm going to go back and check the fax machine. And so I get to the fax machine as the piece of paper is rolling out of the fax machine. And, and I swear to you, it happened exactly like this. I, I'm watching it, and, and the pages is, is blank. And, and it keeps rolling out, and it's blank, and it's blank, and it's blank, and it's blank. And I'm like, all right, what is this? And at the midway point of the fax, 
there's there's a little bit of writing and it's coming up coming out upside down. So I wait till it comes out of the fax machine and I turn it over and I look at it and right in the middle of basically a blank piece of paper with only a letterhead of the office it came from, it simply said, I'm back. And it was from the offices of David Falk, the agent for Michael Jordan. And that was how the announcement was made that after an 18 month sabbatical or whatever you want to call it, Michael Jordan was coming back to the Chicago Bulls. And I, I grabbed the facts and I ran down the hall and I may have been screaming like, Oh my God. And, and Norman, our producer is like, what? And I'm like, I'm shaking the paper. And I'm like, you got to look at this. And we ran into the studio. And the first thing we did, we were, we were in syndicated programming at that, but we had been live from nine to noon. And I, we may have thrown it to ESPN national radio or whatever it was. I don't even remember, but I remember having to call our boss and, and I'm screaming at him. I said, Jordan is coming back. Jordan is coming back. I said, we got to break in live. And he said, do it. So, you know, we, we break in and say, you know, we interrupt this regularly scheduled programming with the following. And I'm, I'm like shaking and I'm holding the piece of paper. I, Michael Jordan is coming back to the Chicago Bulls. And, you know, shortly after that, I, I want to say the Bulls released their statement by fact. And, and the funny thing is that was a statement from Phil Jackson. And all the statements was today, comma, Michael Jordan was activated as a Chicago Bull. And that was the extent of his fact. I'm <laughs> like thinking back now we're in an age where we, we, we are with, with Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and everything else to think back of how ridiculously silly it seems now that a fax came out saying simply, I'm back. And then the Bulls just matter of factly a little bit later, Michael Jordan was activated as a Chicago Bull today. <laughs> it's just fantastically bizarre. Not to mention, he literally played the next night. They're in Indiana, and he literally was like, yeah, I'm back, I'm playing, and then he goes right into the lineup immediately. Yeah, and I just, you know, I had to double, I double-checked that this morning because I said, that can't be how it happened, did it? Am I misremembering things? And I'll be damned, you're right, because they, they play Reggie and the Pacers. He plays 43 minutes. He didn't shoot the ball well that night, but he had 19 points. He had six rebounds. He had six assists. They lost in overtime, and he was wearing the number 45 because the Bulls had already retired his number 23, so he wore the number 45. And you know, Of course, not to jump too far ahead, but in, in classic, only Michael Jordan could capture a moment like this. Three games later, he drops the double nickel and scores 55, and of all places, Madison Square Garden and it's just, as you, again, as you say it out loud, it just sounds only Michael Jordan could do yeah, something you're right. like this. Yeah, because it was like, it'll tell you a couple of games. They play in the garden the night after Indy, and they, they, they have their first home game, which I can only imagine the first home game back for him, how crazy that was, how much of a spectacle that was. But yeah, then they go to the garden, and of course, they have a decent end of the year. I think they ended up like 45 and 37. Um, and then, of course, is the playoffs. They go and they, they play Charlotte, which was like a really actually a decent series. Um, and then, of course, they run into Orlando, and that is when Nick Anderson challenges Michael Jordan after a mishap in Game 1 and says 23 would never do that. That was something 45 would do. And like you said, in typical Michael Jordan fashion, shows up the next game and he's wearing 23. Yeah, you know, as you say that, it was the moment, as excited as everybody was and, and the numbers Jordan put up, when, when Nick Anderson made the steal it just kind of you, you kind of froze that moment and said, "Man, Michael's not all the you know we're 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 kind of fooling ourselves if we think he's going to be what he can he he's not going to get back to what he was. I mean, he left the game for eighteen months and he he played baseball and that Nick Anderson steal is like, oh man, you know it was kind of fun while it lasted, but 
little did little did we have any reason to believe that they would then turn around and do what they did and win three more in a row, which is just again part of, you know part of the, this story, which is just if nobody knew the story, wouldn't believe it when you told it. That wait a minute, okay, he won three titles, he left, he played baseball, he came back, then he won three more. Get out of here! I mean, like a movie producer would say, this script cannot be sold because nobody will buy this on the big screen, and it's exactly what happened. So. We'll wrap it up with this because you just put together this amazing timeline. I thank you so much for that. When you look back at that that run when you were working in Chicago, like you mentioned with the Bulls, you saw so many amazing things and Michael Jordan's comeback. What you know, you've been around for a while, not to age you by any means. This is this is definitely meant respectfully. Um, you know, you've seen, <laughs> you've covered no hitters. You know, you've covered great. You've covered really good Reds teams. You've covered really good Bengals teams. You were in Chicago where like sports is king. You know, you went to Butler, who's a very good basketball. He's a very huge basketball school. Where do you put that timeline of the Bulls? Like, as far as like the memories of your career that you remember, like, where, would you say it's one of the top elite ones of your of your time? Yeah, I mean, in terms of you know, and I I always joke I'm a, I'm a product of the Big Red Machine because I, I grew up here with, with the Reds winning World Championships. And when you're nine and ten, and the Reds win the World Series in back-to-back years, 75 and 76, you kind of think as a kid, you're conditioned to think that's going to happen every year. And obviously it didn't happen. But I, I look at the longevity of the, the Bulls' run and, and the fact they won three, then Jordan leaves, but then they win three more on the other side of it. Uh, the, the the two years where what Houston went. It's just that longevity and that the, the reincarnation and, and the way they did it and, and the way they made Rodman work in, in that puzzle. I mean, I, I haven't even mentioned Rodman on the back end of all this, but just the fact you could take a piece out, plug a piece in and, and Jordan made it work. The competitive nature of Jordan made it work and everybody's saying, well, I'm going to this team, so I better do what Michael says. And it just, the, the role playing and understanding and his will there, there's nobody I've ever seen with the will to win and the competitive nature of the assassin like look on his face. Kobe's close, but just that the, the stare from Jordan and the competitive nature of, you know, whether it was the legendary stories of Jordan betting on which bag of luggage would come out onto the conveyor belt at the airport first or uh, punching a player in practice because he, he was dogging it. It was just that was that was Michael Jordan and you had to live up to his standard and that's how you win six NBA championships. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely, man. Uh, well, Lance, thank you so much for doing this with me, man. You're getting up on a Saturday morning and talking some talking some Bulls memories with me. I greatly appreciate it as a Bulls fan who doesn't have good memories anymore. Um, so this was very nice <laughs> to relive. Uh, before we get out of here, I know you know uh, we'd like to give our guests a chance to kind of shout out where people can follow them, where they can see their work. So the floor is yours, my friend. Thank you. Uh, you can find me uh, most every night, Monday through Friday, 6 o'clock on 700 WLW. With uh, baseball season starting, I'll be adding the uh, extra inning show after the Reds games till midnight on 700. Uh, I have a blast doing it. I always say uh, I got the best gig in the world. I'm getting paid to talk about the teams I grew up with. I'm also on Twitter, and I consider that a very valuable resource for not just what I do, but the interaction with my audience uh, during the show and outside the show. Uh, I'm at Lance McAllister. And that's with one L in, in McAllister. And um, I'd uh, appreciate a follow. And this was a blast. I, honestly, just in preparation for talking with you about it, I went back and, and looked at stuff and it jogged my memory and kind of makes me appreciate once again the, the, the time frame and, and all that happened. So thank you uh, for uh, having helping me relive uh, the, the cool moments like that. Yeah, absolutely. We'll have to do it again sometime. Sounds good. 
All right, everyone, thank you so much for listening. I'll have a good night.